Baseball, Major League Baseball specifically, might change forever. We're going to find out what happens here in the twilight hours. This is the We Don't Know Sports Podcast. Stay tuned. Welcome, welcome, welcome back once again to the We Don't Know Sports Podcast. This is Chad the Mark flying solo tonight, and it's kind of a depressing evening. You know, I had a pretty good week. You know, last week was solid. You know, we we had some nice weather here in the Mid-Atlantic area in West Virginia, and, you know, we we were seeing spring is the eternal optimistic season right around the corner. Hell, I just found out my kid's spring break is next week. And, you know, with spring comes the start of baseball season. And we know the lockout's been dragging on and dragging on all winter. But, you know, there was a little bit of hope, maybe a a sliver. Maybe not. Maybe there was not any real hope, and I'm just an idiot for thinking there might be. But today was the day. Monday, the 28th, they thought this would be the day where we might be able to come to the table and get some, some solutions ironed out. Well, Major League Baseball apparently wasn't really that concerned with it. So they're sticking to their guns. And I know the the public is talking about billionaires versus millionaires. But the way I'm kind of looking at it is the players unions kind of standing up for the guys that maybe are getting victimized a little bit through arbitration and terms of service and all that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, you got guys making $300 million contracts, but we're talking about the Players Association and the Players Union trying to take care of the guys that are early in their career and, you know, they're manipulating the terms of service the years in the league so they can kind of keep them under the payroll uh, guys a little bit more. So there's all kinds of discussions about that and what happens if you lose one of those young players to another team, what's the compensation picks, we got draft lottery proposals out there, all kinds of stuff. Here's the problem. They're still the Grand Canyon with the part of each other. They they opened up, and the way it started today was that the league, you know, they, they're in Florida. They're, they've been talking for hours the past couple days, and the league just decided to say, nah, we're going to show that we're willing to miss a month of games. Not a big deal. Just that's how it started today. They said we're we're willing to miss a, a month worth of games in revenue, and you guys aren't getting paid for it. So this isn't a negotiation and trying to meet in the middle. This is just both sides sticking to their guns and wanting their way. And you know, it's it's interesting to watch unfold because they both need each other. The players need the league. Uh, unless you're Bryce Harper, Bryce Harper was asking Japanese teams on on social media if they were up and uh, listening to his calls. So yeah, I don't think Bryce Harper's really going to Japan, but you know that's where the players are at. Like they're unified on this and not backing down. You don't hear a lot of players right now saying that we need to get a deal done and get on the field. And the owners are unified under the the horrendous leadership of you know your. Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred, uh, he's not going to be responsible for getting this stuff done. But the the distrust that both sides have for each other is just amazing. But the problem is, 
you know, this is, what, the ninth uh, work stoppage baseball's had in the last 50 years? I mean, enough's enough. Like, when are we going to get to where people can actually, you know, work this stuff out without this happening? But this is all spillover from COVID and everybody being pissed off about how that was handled. And, you know, the players, they remember. They remember and they're bringing it back and they're showing them exactly how it felt. Uh, the, the, the other thing with this is I, I'm not sure – how every team fared last year. And there's only one team I know for sure on how they fared last year. And when I say fared, I'm talking about income revenue. So baseball doesn't open the books. And, you know, the players would love for them to open the books. But there's one team that is owned by a publicly traded company that has to open their books and reveal the world on their finances. And that team is the Atlanta Braves. Now, I will begin this with a caveat of sorts because the Braves traditionally have really good attendance. Uh, Hell, they got Mr. Brown from the show to go down there multiple times over the past couple years, and we're eight hours away. But he is a Braves fan. They did win a World Series, so they're competitive. They're always competitive. They're they're near the top of the standings, you know, pretty much every year over over the past few years. But that being said, you know, the books got opened up and we were able to see what the Braves were uh, making. And to, to put it really simply, you know, there's there's revenue and there's profit. So anybody out there that's been involved in business, if you've been in operations, if you've ever had to look at balance sheets, you know, just because you make revenue doesn't mean you make profit. Hell, Sears made a bunch of revenue as a company, but their revenue was selling off real estate. So I can tell you it wasn't much profit because they were just selling off their assets, right? So the Braves aren't necessarily selling off their assets. They ended up per game, so per home game, 81 home games, they made a little over $6 million every home game in revenue. Profit, they made $1.6 million for every home game. I mean, that's, that's pretty good. Every time you open the gates that you're just profiting a million dollars. Every time you do it. And you wonder why baseball's got 162 games. It ain't got a damn thing to do about the balance of the league or the schedule. It's everything to do about what everything in the world has to do with money. So anyway, if you add it all up, the Atlanta Braves made well over $600 million in revenue. And they, they profited pure profit after paying all their bills, paying their payroll, paying whatever fees it costs for stadium and and whatnot, getting money from tickets, concessions, and licensing and all that good stuff, TV revenue. The Atlanta Braves pocketed a cool $106 million in profit. So why do I bring that up? You tie it to the labor negotiations or lack thereof that are going on right now. And if you're the players out there and you see the Atlanta Braves who just made a cool $100 million in profit and they're arguing as a league with the players union over when you have to go to arbitration and how much the teams get if you leave and how much can go in the salary pool and how much the luxury tax can be. These teams don't care. Now, now I'll be honest with you. I would love to see the L.A. Dodgers. Let's see their book. I, that, that'd be amazing. Like, hell, they might be losing money in spite of themselves just to win a title. I don't know, but I doubt that. L.A., like the Braves, they they put a lot of uh, a lot of butts in the seats, although it's the third inning when they get there. 
And, you know, merchandise sales in the Dodgers, you know, they probably move as much, if not more, merchandise in the Braves. I don't know. I'd have to look it up. But I feel like L.A., you know, they West Coast, baby, they, they move a lot of, lot of uh, product out there in, in SoCal. So I'd have to think it's at least on par with them, and they wouldn't be spending the money on these salaries and, and going through the, the luxury tax penalties if it didn't make money. I mean, these owners aren't stupid. They, they've got to the point they're, they're at in life because they know how to run a business, and they're not going to run a football or a, a baseball team to not make money. Now, the other team would be interested, interesting to see would be like the Pittsburgh Pirates, right? Like, are they are they operating at a profit? Oh, by the way, the Braves, uh, they they did lose money the the previous year, but it was the the COVID year, right? So there's there's some differences there. It was a shortened season, and there's uh, some complexities as far as not having fans in attendance and whatnot. So when you think about you know the spillover of these negotiations and people being upset over you know what happened the previous year and and playing sixty games and all that. You know, one thing that comes to mind is like, how much do the owners lose? Are they trying to recoup all that? Well, the Atlanta Braves, you know, they made that um, that back this year. So just to, to make sure I got it right, the Braves, yeah, 104 million is what they made, and they lost. Oh. They lost fifty three million the year before, so they they took a they took a loss the year before, but they made it all back in one year. So it shows you know baseball teams are making money regardless of what you think. What are the Pirates doing though? Like are are they part of the problem because they won't spend money? Maybe they make money and they just think they can't spend money because what they got is what they got, and ignoring the fact that maybe if they put a competitive product on the team and kind of had a roster that resembled itself from the year before or the year before that they might do a little bit better with attendance it might make more money but who am I to judge because I don't know your books but all that being said it's not about the books it's just another piece of the narrative that people are looking at when they wonder why we can't come to the table and get a deal done so as of right now it's 9:49 p.m. no deal has been made it was supposed to happen today and it's not. So we're going to cancel games. I don't know how many they're going to cancel, but the owners came out and said that they're going to be fine with losing, you know, a month's worth of games. And, you know, we, we've been talking on the on the big show and, and on social media that we think it'll probably be like late April when we get a uh, get a season going. Uh, we had a guest on last week that said April 17th. You know what? Those odds are starting to go down now. You know, felt good about that before, but the lack of progress that's taken taken shape, uh, you know, you can't feel real positive about where we're at. So I, I do want to give a shout out. If you go over to Yahoo Sports, Zach Kreiser's got an article about the MLB lockout and how it's cementing Rob Manfred's legacy and how baseball may never look the same again. It is definitely worth the read. It, I know there's been a lot of noise about this, but if you take the time to read that article, I think it'll help fill in the blanks and help paint a picture. And you can see kind of where we're going. And I'm old enough to remember the 93 strike. And I don't want to see that again. And baseball, you know, you got to figure this out. And the owners, maybe there's some owners out there. Maybe there's some teams out there that aren't making money. I remember when the NHL, I'm not a big hockey fan, but I remember when the NHL went through some of this and they had a huge restructure with how the league looked and and how they're, 
their teams were and things like that. And if it's that bad for baseball and the Braves are the outlier, then then maybe maybe we need to to have this to kind of reset some things. But I don't think that'd be the case if you know teams if the the Washington Nationals are offering Juan Soto three hundred and fifty million dollars before the lockout. You know, trying to sneak that deal in. Uh, you're not paying Tatis uh, and Mike Trout and Mookie Betts and guys like that the money you're paying them if you're you're not generating the revenue. So I, I, I'm not really going to be sympathetic to that. I think it's on the owners to swallow their pride a little bit and give a little. I don't think you're going to give as much as the NBA does. Just give a little bit and give the players some clout. That's all I'm saying. But uh, as of right now, you're missing baseball games. It's no longer a 162-game season, and I'm pissed off because our fantasy baseball draft is now up in the air. We have no idea when it's going to start. So thanks a lot, Manfred. Thanks a lot, owners. Figure this shit out. And let's go. And, and some other news, you know, just to shift gears here a little bit, you know, last week I think we talked about uh, a surprising hire that took place uh, in the world of college football. And we know the uh, HBCUs are stepping their game up. You know, we got some some big names that are starting to really, you know, support their um, their, their their schools or their alma maters. And speaking of, we have a guest coming on the show uh, later this week. It's uh, Marcus Odgen. Uh, you might know the name because his brother was, uh, you know, a Hall of Fame offensive lineman for the Ravens. But Marcus also played in the NFL and came from an HBCU. Uh, so, you know, definitely excited to talk to him and see how he feels about the, the swoon of talent and the, uh, the takeover that's happening here amidst the, the terrorism that's taking over college football with the transfer portal and the NIL understanding. But anyway, I uh, look forward to talking to him. But uh, Art Bryles was hired by Hugh Jackson and Grambling, and that lasted all of about four days before Art Bryles had stepped down. So, uh, as shocked as we were that Art Browse was back in the coaching game, uh, apparently he and Hugh Jackson were shocked at the amount of blowback they got because it came swift and it came heavy. And Art Browse, uh probably doing the only thing that was reasonable is to step away from the position and not accept it because of the distraction it would, would bring. Now, some could argue like it might be worth the distraction to just have eyes on on the program more than you would normally, but you got to remember the distraction that Art Browse brings. It is, you know, borderline like Joe Paterno-esque, uh, you know, turmoil. It, it is um, worse than SMU back in the day. Uh, I mean, I, it's it's amazing. Uh, and I don't blame the head coach for everything. But when you're there and that culture at Baylor, and my God, it's amazing Baylor is where they're at when it comes to success in football and basketball, like they've had players kill each other and just like rampant sexual assault and rape and things like that. And, and administrations kind of just turn the other way and not pay attention to it and not report things the way they should. But yet here they are still competitive as ever. So I don't, I don't know what's in the water in Waco, but you know, I, I don't know. Maybe it's Kenneth Starr down there just uh, navigating the waters because I, I think he's the uh, president of the university still, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but anyway, that was some kind of interesting news that came out. And then another thing, just want to shout out real quick. Um, I'm excited because I have James Harden on my fantasy basketball team, and I am in next to last place, so I'm not going to win anything this year. But 
I might actually be competitive because James Harden has found his inner James Harden and he looks like a guy that we once knew. And he was making comments since he's joined the the Sixers that he's never been this open in his career. Well, you know, you're playing with Joel Embiid, who is a MVP candidate, you know, year in and year out when he stays healthy. And the they, they've immediately gelled. Uh, after a couple games and have come in and, and he's, he's back to, to registering triple doubles and doing his thing. And, and Bede is just loving it that he's got an, an outside, uh, presence now. And I know the, the Sixers left, uh, or lost a little bit in the trade, but you essentially are really getting hardened for a guy that wasn't playing. I mean, you lost, uh, Seth Curry, but you're, you're really picking up Harden for Ben Simmons, right? And, James Harden, uh, if he is able to even come anywhere remotely close to that MVP form he's shown so many times in the past, like that's that's pretty uh, pretty impressive. And then for what it's worth, I was laughing because I saw that the Sixers were going to probably bring in DeAndre Jordan, which I'm not sure what he's got left in the tank. But uh, you know he's he's at he's out in LA, and my God, has the soap opera in Los Angeles uh, just keep getting better and better. And I, I'm convinced at this point that LeBron has no no admiration for the organization, doesn't want to win. It's really – I think he's just chasing Kareem at this point. He wants to get his 25 points a game and move on and just be happy with it, and, and he'll get to Kareem. And then, you know, there's all this stuff about him wanting to play with his son, and we talked about that uh, last week, but – uh, I, I'm going to have to do some research. I heard some things that Bronny, uh, you know, he may not really be an NBA caliber player. Like he's a nice player, but he might have to go to college and get developed here a little bit. So we'll see uh, what happens. But uh, circling back, you also have uh, Ben Simmons is still not okay by uh, the Nets to practice yet. So, you know, as the world turns on that one. So we'll see if that ever gets any better. But, you know, that that's kind of the, the state of affairs in the NBA right now. Uh, you know, it's uh, interesting to see if the uh, Sixers and the Nets both have the same trajectory after all this is said and done. And I, I am thinking about maybe putting money on the Lakers to actually not make the playoffs. Uh, I know they're right there right now, but if you think about it, the way things are going, they're, they're possibly not going to make the playoffs. So just leave it at that. But Anyway, uh, that's all I got tonight, everybody. So, you know, just to recap, we got the horrendous, horrendous lockout situation in Major League Baseball. Maybe tomorrow we'll have some better news. We'll see what happens. James Harden's back to the bearded man that's just kicking everybody's ass, and you got to love it. And uh, we got Marcus Ogden coming on the show uh, later this week to talk uh, hopefully a little bit about just going into the NFL, the, uh, the, the combine process, and playing for an HBCU. And, you know, having an, having a little bit of a, a chip on his shoulder because he had a brother that was just a legend in the game. Uh, and then some life after football. You know, we've had some good conversations with people in the past and I uh, have, have heard awesome stories, whether it was LeVon Kirkland or John Abraham or uh, whoever it may be. Uh, but, you know, looking forward to hearing uh, Marcus and what he's got to offer as well. Uh, should have a couple more interesting guests coming up down the road. And March Madness is not too far away. So our boy Bob Picozzi will be back with us to talk some March Madness. And we're going to sneak that in somewhere. Uh, but uh, that's all I got. So everybody think about Ukraine. See if they can hold the line for another day as Russia keeps being assholes. But this is the We Don't Know Sports Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.